Hello and welcome to Open Door Films. Before I talk about my interview with my guest today, I'd like to talk about the sponsors of this podcast. Let's start with Fountain. Fountain is a podcasting app that allows you to earn Bitcoin while listening to your favorite podcasters. That's right. You're basically being rewarded for your own time, which is probably the better part of Fountain. I mean, one of the another great thing about Fountain is in addition to being able to listen to your favorite podcast creators and being rewarded for it, you can even stream Satoshis to your favorite podcast creators. So in a way, it's a win-win situation for both the creator and the fan of the creator. You're both being rewarded for your own time. Hence, supply, no, supporting the value-for-value value model that Adam Curry, a.k.a. the Podfather, talked about. In addition to that, there's also the other sponsor of this podcast, Anchor. Now, if we're talking about creativity and you're looking to expand on that, best way to do that is probably through a podcast. Now, where would you go to do that? You'd probably think you have to po- you have to record yourself and post your episode on either Apple or Spotify. Well, that's one way of doing it. There are multitude of ways you can do it, and Anchor it solves that issue by allowing you to create a podcast for free and then distributing your recording or podcast episode, if we're being more accurate, across multiple platforms. That's right. The good thing about Anchor, <laughs> excuse me, mild burp there. The great thing about Anchor is that if you're looking to be a podcaster. All you got to do is just record yourself, publish the episode on Anchor, which you can download in the link I have left for you down below, and you'll be able to have your podcast distributed across multiple platforms, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Fountain, Lisbon, Podfreeze, CurioCaster, the whole shebang. So just go to anchor.fm on the link down below, and you'll be able to get started with your own creative journey, just like I did. Now, the guest I want to talk about today is named Sasha Pell. Sasha is a filmmaker, a screenwriter, a former boxer, and even a novelist. We talked about a lot of things pertaining to film in our discussion. We talked about the the family-oriented films he likes to make, and when he, when he, when we uh, sorry tongue twist there. And well, when it came to the idea of what's a family film, he was talking more along the lines of Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, E.T. Basically, that old-school filmmaker approach that had this magic to it that wasn't so obsessed with being politically correct or woke-centered. And we actually talked about woke culture and how, in a way, it's acting as a form of censorship in cinema and the culture pertaining to cinema. Now, we also discussed politics, but not in a way where we lingered either right or left, but more on a neutral level where we just basically talked about shit in a more honest way that most people are too afraid to talk about. And that's what I loved about my discussion with Sasha. Because we were just able to talk like human beings, I mean, as both fans of film. And that's the great thing about talking to someone about film. It can just lead to a multitude of areas of discussion. And I think that in many ways, cinema can operate as an avenue for creating the kind of intellectual discourse that not only tackles both traditional and new, newly developing values, but it can create an avenue for values that we have yet to tap into. I know I'm, this is like some form of pseudo-intellectualism I'm using to describe my discussion with, with Sasha, so without further ado and without further wasting your time, I hope you all enjoy this episode of the Open Door Films podcast. Oh, and check out Sasha's book, The Myth, which he's actually which he turned into a novel and also from a screenplay he originally written and now he's trying to get get the film made so just check out his book the myth on his profile information down below 
And uh, without further ado, for the second time, as cliche as saying that that phrase a second time sounds, enjoy the show. Okay, and we're live. So, how are you? Good, very good. How are you? Um, good, thank you. And I'm just very glad to have your time and uh, just wanted to let you know not to feel pressure. You'd, this is totally unscripted. You just basically just, we just, we'll just talk about movies, your career, any projects you're working on. And uh, why don't we just start with a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is Sasha Bell, and I just wrote a book from a screenplay that I wrote. And uh, now, you know, we're, we're trying to sell the book, <laughs> you know, we're promoting it. Um, but also later on, we're trying to make it into a movie. And what's, what's the book titled? Uh, the myth, Hakimus Gross. And what is the, the premise of the book, if I, you don't mind me asking? Oh, no, not at all. Um, well, it is about a civilization thousands of years ago on Earth, on planet Earth. And it's a myth about it. You know, the tribes talk about it, that it's a myth. But this professor in England in 1932 finds it. And there are some people that don't want this society to be found. And it becomes an action adventure. <laughs> mm. And uh, how long have you been working on this project? Well, the, the screenplay I wrote many years ago. And actually, we were going to make the movie right before COVID. And then COVID hit and our funding went away. <laughs> oh, my God. And... So I decided I have time. So I turned it into a book. Oh, you, so you wrote the book in the process of the pandemic? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you already, pl- did you already have plans of writing a book, of the writing a book version? I, actually, I wasn't, but I want that story out. You know, it's, it's going to be a fun, it's a fun story for the whole family. And, and you know, it's, it's in a time of Indiana Jones style. In term, oh, it, it has like an Indiana Jones type of adventure vibe. Yes, yes. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a theme like Indiana Jones, yes. When it comes to films, what films do you look to as inspiration for the types of stories you tell? Because it seems like you de- you definitely like, I mean, since you just mentioned Indiana Jones and you look at that film now, how different it is compared to the typical adventure film, it makes me want to ask, what type of films do you look to as inspiration? Well, right now, it's, it's, it's still, you know, the old movies like the Indiana Jones. I love all the Indiana Jones I do like the Star Wars too, the older ones. <laughs> I don't like the newer ones as much. Um, but there's all kinds of movies. Uh, you know, I, I like all kinds of genres. You know, I, I don't know if you remember Scarface. Love that movie. <laughs> Scarface is a fascinating one because I've never had a mixed view on it. I always loved it. And I always found the, the bombastic nature of it to be fascinating, especially when it explores the ideas of self-sovereigns, capitalism, and uh, just an entrepreneurship, but you've obviously, have you ever heard the negative criticisms of it or just that it's, it's like the best bad movie? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know where people get this idea. What do you feel about that? Well, I think, I think it was ahead of its time, to tell you the truth, for what type of movie it was. Uh, you know, nowadays, this Scarface would come, I don't think it would do as well. I, I truly don't think so, just because. Really? Uh, yeah, because it's not, I don't think it's bloody enough or, 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 you know what I mean? Gruesome enough, which 
I don't think we need <laughs> all the time, you know. We, we know when a person dies. We know what happens, you know. What about the subject matter itself? Aside from the violence, you don't think it would resonate with an audience as much? Uh, no, I think it, because back then it was, it was all about a lot of people coming from Cuba, remember? And, and it was on the news constantly, you know, the years before that. And, and so kind of like missing in action. That I don't think that movie would do that well either anymore because you know it's many years after the Vietnam War. You know, it's it's it, they come in with times. You know, but don't you think that that because World War II movies still have an effect on the public even now, when when a lot of World War II films can still be made, and even increase that increases the chances of an Academy Award nomination in terms of its narrative. You don't think that that something like Scarface and the history or surrounding it. Well, let me put it this way. If they would come out with, with a Scarface right now and they make it the way they did it, I mean, the, the way they do it now, the way they make movies today, then yes, it would do really well. But if, if they would come out with the movie that they did back then, I don't think it would. Do you think it would border on anything controversial or just simply it would feel dated? Well, yeah, probably controversial too. I mean, nowadays everything is controversial, you know. Uh, everything is either, you know, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? You know, I, I, I think they, yeah, a lot of people would come out and say it's prejudice against Cuban people, you know. Um, yeah, yet they're, yet they're willing to, I mean, there is, still uh, crowd, there is still that crowd of people that will label Quentin Tarantino a racist because he has a film even though his films have had characters use the N-word repeatedly. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's becoming a little crazy in, in that way, I think. Yeah, I can... I, we, we cannot say anything without being controversial. No, frankly, you want to know something? And I've brought this movie up in prior interviews because I was a big fan of the, the Matt Reeves' The Batman this year. When I first saw that trailer... I thought that scene where he's beating on that thug, somebody would use that as a way of creating controversy, given that essentially Bruce Wayne does punch people of a lower economic status. And yes, there, a lot of them are degenerates and thugs and just people who aren't generally psychopathic, but some you could see some social justice warrior arguing that he's beating on a poor person that didn't have the same advantages, even yeah. though the guy came at him with a machete. And I... <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you pretty much see it in the news, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean? It just happened the other day where the, the, the guy, the store owner, got attacked and he defended himself and he actually went to jail. They arrested him and it, it's happening in everything right now. So, you know. It's interesting you bring that up because it made me think of another film. And in addition to the interviews I do, I do like film reviews and I've made a few videos uh, uh -huh. on taxi driver and one thing i felt that was very ahead of that film and its time was the character travis bickle and yeah even though he is mentally ill calling him crazy is a little one-sided because it makes you look at the society itself and what does what the what kind of society do you live in where yes a lot of the guys he shot up in the end of the film were pedophiles and child molesters but prior to that he was going to assassinate a politician Right. And he's just stopped by bad timing. But, and it made me think 
imagine if he had gone through the assassination, they would have, they would have, the, the press would have labeled him something different than a hero. Even though you've seen that scene where he kills those child molesters and pimps, it's not glorified. It's portrayed in a nightmarish way because it's, I mean, he's pretty much mentally scarred Jodie Foster's character. Right. Which right. he's witness. And, uh, and also made me think of the Uvalde shooter from a few, like, I don't know if it's even been two months, but yeah. imagine how the public would have judged him if he had, instead of shooting up a group of innocent children, he had instead shot up mentally like a, a group of, of child molesters and pedophiles. They probably would have acknowledged his mental illness, given the, the fact that the gun debate is different now as opposed to it was in the 70s, like in a film like Taxi Driver. But still, makes you wonder what kind of whether it's the individual or the society. And then it makes and when that example you just brought up makes me think of the movie that have you seen a history of violence of Vigo Mortensen? Uh, history of it sounds so yes. I, you know what? I, I saw it a long time ago. Yes, yes, yes. He did the same thing. He defended his store, his diner. He shot up yeah. few psychopaths who you are made to believe in the beginning of the film are the main antagonists. Right. But they're just because the movie is really just about violence and the phenomenon. He's he's labeled a hero by the press, but he doesn't really like it. He's like, no, it's a terrible tragedy. And uh, right. And I yeah, know. yeah. No, it, I, I now I actually remember it. It was really a good good movie. It, it, I liked it. I liked it, even though it was violent. But it, it was a it's good about movie. violence. Yes. Yes. And that's yeah. something I feel our society is becoming more afraid to acknowledge. I mean, they'll so, sooner indulge in it, but they won't acknowledge it. Well, yes. Uh, you know, right now I live in Florida and we moved from the West Coast and we were, you know, we lived right by Portland, Oregon. And you saw what they did in Portland, Oregon, I'm sure. <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to tell because one of the things I find d difficult with the media is they will... Oh, Every, every, both sides have a different agenda that it's hard to tell. I mean, even with politics, I mean, uh, I, I don't vote, yeah. I'm not voting. It is a, it is a, I always say people act like, you know, if you're a Republican or a Democrat, whatever, they act like it's, they're following a, a football team, like they're a 49er fan or a Raiders fan. No, I mean, it's common sense. And right now, neither sides are making comments common sense decisions on anything, you know, and, and like, I mean, I was in Portland and it was bad. I mean, Portland, Oregon was a very, very clean and fun city and it's not that anymore, you know? So yeah. And both sides, I mean, both sides are talking over each other. No. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I voted this year and I, I mean, I, the only thing I regret about voting is not just the president, but not because I, I liked him. I thought he was just the better option. But I think there's something cynical itself about the idea of us let, uh, voting for the lesser of two evils. And that approach is just so redundant that I'm not even thinking of voting. And I actually made a video about that for a taxi driver vid. Well, I mean, I did a recording for like a, for the character Charles Palantine. And I like how the film portrayed him as something we've seen a bunch of times. I mean, it doesn't judge, condemn or condone him. It just portrayed him in a way where, look, many of the issues that are being talked about by the more sensible politicians today, it's nothing new. Whether you like, if you like someone like Tulsi Gabbard or DeSantis or, 
or uh, Yang, who do talk about these issues in a much more introspective way, this is nothing new. And you can, and when it comes to politics, it's all, it's no different from acting. And you're right. And, and like, you know, the Santos in Florida, I think he's doing a very good job uh, um, because he's, he's trying to stay out of people's way. And yeah. that you know, but who and, knows how much of that is performative. It's all a fucking game. <laughs> And you're right about that. I mean, politics is a game and it's money. And, you know, so, so, but you never know. Everybody can, you know, like you said, you know, the president now, he told a whole bunch of things, but he pretty much told everybody what he was going to do. That's what they all do. Yeah. And, and he did it. <laughs> he actually did it, <laughs> you know, and, and yeah, but, it's, uh, it's time, it's time for, new leaders, everybody is in there way too long, you know, they're corpses on a state. There are people there 50, 60 years, but yet a president only can be there for eight years. It's the Congress who makes the laws, (laughs) you know, it's the, you know, so you need to get them out. (laughs) It's time for new new blood. I frankly don't even care what ethnic background run, uh, votes. I mean, if they were born in American, I think there's something stupid. I think the only rule that like requirement to be, are they sensible? What do you mean? Uh, people who weren't. Well, I, I think there's, there are a lot of rules in that game. They should just like take out that are irrelevant. I mean, I don't really care where they were born or where, what citizenship they have, as long as they're a sensible human being with good intentions, but that they can rationalize. It is true, but see, I am originally, I'm from Austria, and it's, it's in my eyes, I mean, you should be a citizen to vote. And no. the reason why, the reason why I say that is, I mean, you know, and you can vote once you become a citizen, you can vote. I know. Uh, I, guess, I guess what I mean is that that's something that would, like, say you found the perfect candidate, but that rule disqualified him. I mean, that oh, just, you mean to run for, for president? Yeah, like a dumb technicality for the right person, because sometimes I think some rules should, well, should be suspended. But going back to film, in addition to Scarface, I mean, are you a big fan of Brian De Palma, or did you just pick Scarface specifically as an influence for your work? I, I, I picked Scarface because that movie was, it just stood out. You know, it was, like I said, I thought it was way ahead of its time. What do you uh, think I, about something like Blowout by De Palma and the more operative, operative look it takes? That was a good film. See, I like, I like my films that I would like, that I want to make are, are, are films, you know, more family oriented, like, like the Indiana Jones, the, you know, the, the uh, Star Wars, uh, you know, Back to the Future, things like that. Well, they wouldn't exactly even be considered family-oriented family today because of the climate. Because when you look at some of the, the, viol- the violence in them, that was p- considered PG at the time. And just even, uh, I guess... still should be. <laughs> I mean, well, we, I think we can all both agree that the rating system in the U.S. is total bullshit. I mean, look at the, a perfect example of one of my favorite movies, The Dark Knight. That movie's uh-huh. PG-13. It tackles really complex issues that if a person were to think about a lot of the issues in that film, they would be horrified and think, no, this is not PG-13. That is too lenient. Right, right. And, and, and it's not, yeah, it doesn't show any blood, but 
blood is irrelevant when you're talking about a film that talks on politics, uh, the structure of society, nihilism. And uh, I mean, there's actually a great video on YouTube of the, an analysis made by some Indian guy who calls it Nolan's Republic. Uh, he's referencing Plato's Republic and how at the end of the day, as much as the movie champions the actions of the, of the main character, Batman, when he tells a lie to hold society together, that's actually from Plato's Republic, the noble lie. Mm-hmm. In a way, on the flip side of that, he is acting like an authoritarian where he is deciding for the people, even though in that situation, you got to be empathetic. So it's one of those movies where it doesn't give you a definitive answer of where to go with. You just see a, a decision at the end and then you see the end result. And that's why I think it's so brilliant. Right, right, right. No, uh, you're right about that. Um, and the rating system. Yeah. I, I mean, even animated movies these days, you know, when I take my kids, there are things in there that the kids don't get. They don't get it. But can the you, adults are laughing, you know. Can you list some examples of some? Got to put me on the spot. I can't think of one thing right now, but I remember what, what I mean, like Shrek. Just think about Shrek. Sure. There are some things in there. <laughs> you know, I can't think of a line right now, but... but they're just totally, like in your face. Right. And it's it's totally towards adults, but yet it's promoted a kid's film, you know. Well, a lot, when you look at all the old cartoons of the 90s, I don't see those shows being made today and they were not in your face or explicit or gratuitous. They just tackled mature topics. Right. I grew up watching a lot of those cartoons in the nineties and I know they could not be made. I mean, obviously the politics of the culture would definitely play a role in stopping that, but just, I think this, the, the way the culture of cinema, it's leaned towards a, a much safer direction, even economically, because nowadays all you just see is superhero comic book movies. Yeah. And uh, well, that's, that's business, because if it works, it works, and they're just going to go back to the well. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I mean, I was happy that, like, I, actually, I haven't seen it yet. I, I've been too busy, but uh, um, Tom Cruise's new movie, you know, Top Gun, is, is, is doing really well. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprising. And uh, that makes me actually want to ask you, what do you think of the original and how it would fare today? And I'm not just talking and I'm not talking about the politics. Let's skip that because I couldn't even watch it halfway. And it wasn't the politics or of the movie so much as just well, how outdated it felt in terms of style. Back then, you mean? Back then? The original. The original. Yes. Um, I really liked it. But I, it wasn't one of the movies that I had to go see 10 more times. You know no. what I mean? Uh, it wasn't one of those movies, but I really liked it. And I like Tom Cruise. Uh, you know, I think he's, he's awesome. I, I, I like what he does, you know? And uh, so was I surprised so late on, you know, I mean, how many years later? I mean, it's what? 30. 30 years later. I, I couldn't believe it how well it did. But I think that just shows people are ready. I mean, they keep talking about how movies from now on are only going to be streamed and you know people don't want to go to the movie theaters anymore. And I think they're wrong. <laughs> I think people like to go to the movie theater. Oh, yeah. Even if it's for a superhero movie, because as much as I'm critical of the superhero phenomenon, I did like the last Avengers film and 
there was something about the final sequence of the film that just resonated with the audience as they were watching this culmination. Right. All the other movies building up to this great singular moment. And I feel that cathartic experience can be found in almost anything you see. But uh, it's, it's just my, my thing is they keep going back to the same thing, you know, like the new Star Wars. The shows or the movies? The movie, the movie. Um, the new movies, you know, it's the Luke Skywalker story in my eyes. They didn't really come up with anything new. Hmm. I mean, I guess, I mean, I liked the first two and I didn't see the third one because I heard that film was just totally corporate nonsense where it was just altered in pure reactionism because the second one, at least, it took major risks. And from the idea of an auteur who basically deconstructed everything about that franchise. Right. And right. That's, I guess that's why I like The Last Jedi because even the color palette is like a major contrast to the more positive things you see in Star Wars. I just I mean, one of my favorite sequences in that movie is the fight scene between Ray and, and uh, what's his name? Kylo Ren, where they're fighting those Praetorian guards because it's not stylized. They are struggling with guys who in other Star Wars movies would have been killed easily. Right, right. Well, in some parts, they, get, they got more realistic. They got more realistic in my eyes, which I think more movies should do. But the story, there was no new story. And you had 20 some years to come up with a great story, you know, or however long Disney had them by then. You know, they, you can come up with a good story, a screenplay, you know, that, that is totally different, totally different, but yet Star Wars still, you know. What do you feel about Disney? I mean, your thoughts, because in my last interview of some, with, the la, with my last guest, we talked about the Disneyfication of cinema, and I just want your overall idea about Disney just expanding so much in every avenue. It's, it's a monopoly. It's a monopoly. And they own everything. <laughs> and pretty much everybody goes through them now, you know, or Netflix. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's yeah, it, it's kind of hard to... You know, look at it. It doesn't matter if it's a Marvel movie, it's Disney. You know, if it's an animated movie, it's Pixel. It, they own everything, you know, and and so they they rule Hollywood. It definitely is alarming to for me because it feels I'll be able to control a majority of the content. And uh, I guess this goes back to something in the Marvel universe I really loved. I mean, did you ever watch that show Daredevil on Netflix? Uh, yes, yes, I did. What did you think about it and how it differed from the traditional Marvel material? I, you know what, I, I didn't mind, I liked it. I liked it. You know, I, I, I got to tell you the truth. I never was a comic book reader. So all these stories were always all new to me, you know, and, and my wife actually read some of them when she was a kid. And so she could tell me, yeah, they do it quite a bit like the, like the comic books, for instance, you know. Um, but I liked it. You didn't like it? Oh, I loved it because, but what I loved about it was that it wasn't owned by Disney at the time. And right. so it gave it a lot of room to do, to basically say, we're not afraid to be at the level of the Sopranos or Breaking Bad. I mean, if you remember plenty of the action sequences, in addition to the great storytelling, because they just 
portray they not only portrayed a very morally great character who you think is righteous, but look at the action sequences and the dedication and focus they put to those long tracking shots. One is eight minutes. One, I think one was like 15 minutes where he's literally escaping from a prison while fighting off one guard and one prisoner after the other. And yet, and they literally film it to him getting out, like getting us outside of the prison as the riot is going on. And getting and reaching its pinnacle. No, they. I, I thought they did really, really well. Um, I worry now because I saw that same character in the new Spider-Man film, and I heard that that they moved that Daredevil show to Disney Plus. That when if they do revive the show, which they were talking about a few years ago, that they might just Disney like Tony. I don't know, because look how, I mean, it's not only violent. I mean, when I first heard that there was a revival, it was more centered around Hulu. But then, is it true that Hulu is owned by Disney now? Yes. Okay. Then. Um, uh, it's either they're in, in contract together or, or they own it totally outright now. But yeah. Well, that does make it a little more mixed, because, I mean, Spider-Man isn't owned by Sony. So, well, he's tempor- well, did that go through? Did temporarily they- owned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, see, they, and that's the thing. Instead of coming up with new, new, new movies, new, new thoughts, they keep revamping and redoing new, the old movies. And honestly, like Total Recall, I thought Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger was much better right. than the new one. The I've new never one. seen the new one. I don't care for it. It was. It was. In my eyes, it was. It was terrible. And I actually like the actor. What's what's the guy's name? I like him. Colin Carroll. Huh? Colin yeah, Carroll. Colin Carroll. Yes, I really like him. And, and they, I thought they could have done so much better, especially, you know, with the technology that, that we have nowadays. You know, you could have made it look so much better. The story could have been so much better, but they didn't. It really depends on how they use the technology because sometimes some of the old school techniques are much better than the new ones and much less costly. Like take, for instance, Star Wars. You love the originals and they did right. use CGI, but they also used physical models. For oh, the it's, yeah, it was beautiful what they did. It was, it just amazes me, some of the things. But I, I don't know if you heard about uh, uh, Unreal Engine. Yeah, I've heard of Unreal Engine. Yeah, that, like the Mandalorian, like 80% of it is shot with that and that's really great because it actually makes the movie a lot cheaper um to do and you don't have to travel because a lot of the stuff you can do in a way where it looks authentic and it really looks beautiful i mean you can't tell the difference because they had in the mandalorian some shots where they were you know in in, um uh um, what was the first star wars hope (laughs) i knew Uh, hope yeah yeah um and they were in the same spot and they showed it and it looked identical and you couldn't tell the difference. Can I ask you something, since you love Star Wars and the original one, what, I mean, well, I'll ask you two different questions, but first off with the prequels, what are your thoughts on those? Uh, the, the prequels, the ones on Anakin Skywalker. I liked them. I guess, I don't know. I didn't like them as much as the first three, but I did like them. Hmm, that's interesting because, I mean, people have always debated whether they like the prequels or the new ones now. And I'm just curious what people's responses are to that. For me, 
It's hard because I haven't seen them in a long time. And I mean, I wasn't a fan of the actor that played Darth Vader. And yet even that's strange how they're warming up to him now with the new show, Obi-Wan. Right, right. I haven't right. seen those That was some of the things that I didn't like in the writing. I'm talking about the visual effects and, 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 and the way they put everything together to, to make sense, you know, uh, but, but like Anakin, he kind of, they made him too much of a whiner in my eyes. And they did the same thing with Cairo, you know, in, in, in the last ones. Just, they all had problems in their head and that's okay. Everybody, everybody has problems, but they were, they're supposed to be tough people, you know. <laughs> Whatever disappointment I have with the new ones, because I did like the first two, and I guess it's because of the disappointment of the sequels, but I think the disappointment of the sequels for me mostly came from the fact that they already spoiled it in the very first one. What would happen? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know how much you remember of the promotional art for the first one, The Phantom Menace, but there's actually a poster, which is my favorite, ironically, but it's also the worst marketing decision you could ever make. It shows young Anakin Skywalker in the sands of Tatooine when he's a child. Uh -huh. Guess what, it, what, what is reflecting on the wall behind him? The shadow uh -huh. of Darth Vader. Really? It's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a great I, I don't remember that poster. <laughs> it must have been one of the early ones and one of those very subtle, I mean, not subtle so much as it's not, it basically just shows him in his complete innocence and he's right. looking off in the distance and behind in his shadow, instead of reflecting the, in, the image of uh, the boy, uh, Christopher Lloyd, he was the kid from Jingle All the Way. Uh, mm -hmm. It right. shows the, the, the shadow shape of Darth Vader, not like, and that is a great poster, but it's a major tip off of what those movies would be about, about his downfall. And if you know it's going to end up, it's hard to not predict it. Right, right. Well, the thing is, the thing is, we all knew that he turned into Darth Vader from the first three. But yeah, you're right. Uh, I mean, you shouldn't tell him exactly what what it's about. You know, right up front. <laughs> you know. I mean, I mean, imagine how much better a movie like Black Panther. And I like Black Panther. I think it's a great, unique Marvel film. But what hurt, what I think, and it's a good thing, it's a good story, but the fact that they released the trailer for that Infinity War where you see Black Panther right after, that kind of works as a tip-off to make you wonder, well, he's not going to die in this movie, and they do that all the time with those Marvel movies. Right. Yeah. yeah. I guess my yeah. second... Oh, so, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you, were, you were saying something? They do that all the time, and, and like that, I mean, first of all, they're the superheroes, so... Most of the time, you know, they don't die anyways, except Iron Man, which that kind of blew me away. <laughs> I couldn't believe they killed off Iron Man, tell you the truth. That, that, that got me. But, and also like Han Solo. I can't believe they killed him off. In the first of those films, that was right. a choice to me. Yeah, yeah that, that to me was, yeah. I don't know, in my eyes, kind of unnecessary. Well, to be fair, Force Awakens is just basically a new updated version of A New Hope. And I still like it, but it does borrow way too much from the structure of that story that they're just repeating so many things. I mean, I'm sure that people, when they saw Obi-Wan Kenobi die in the first one, 
we're a little uh -huh. shocked that they did that, but and yes, that's that's true. But you know, if you're gonna do a, a whole new series and 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 you're just going against the Sith or the Dark Republic or the New Republic or whatever they call them. Uh, um, just come up with a new story. You didn't need the old characters, but they needed them because everybody, they knew they were, the, the people who liked the first three were gonna come back and totally watch this. And that's why they brought them back, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but uh, I guess my second question on Star Wars is, how do you feel about every Star Wars story, even the relatively good ones coming out now? Because I don't know what you're, I mean, you've expressed <laughs> No, no, I meant like, do you think that it would ever be possible for them to tell the types of Star Wars stories that have nothing to do with the original trilogy or any elements of that? Because- Oh, oh I think so. I, I mean, just look at the games. I mean, there are so many video games out and they're different really? stories. Oh yeah, they're different stories. So yeah, you can go totally another way, you know, uh, with it because you know it's a huge universe. <laughs> so you could do that. Oh, I I was surprised because I always felt that there's always some linkage to the Empire and the and the and Luke Skywalker. Well, there's always going to be the Empire because they pretty much run the galaxy. So yes, <laughs> you know. There's always going to be some political thing, and yeah, I just sound, yeah, that was a stupid question on my end because <laughs> I guess I was just thinking back to when in the '90s when I first was introduced to Star Wars, I saw that they had novels in certain bookstores, and I saw on those novels just characters that had nothing to do with the original trilogy, right? And I found that that looks like the kind of opportunity that they could use. I mean, there's there, there I think last time I checked, like. 320 books out there. Oh, right? even, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, there are so many out there. And, and yeah, you could do a whole new thing and, and really make it good, you know, and, and keep the same feel of Star Wars, but a totally different story. Oh, when it comes to even superhero material, I feel that there's like an, I always feel that there's a limit. I mean, there's, they, they approach it in a very limited way. They either tackle heroes we've known to see too right. many times or even when they do something new like that one with oscar isaac i think they dumb it down because i haven't seen moon knight but from what i heard it was done very well but even i'm still like a little hesitant to go see it because i've read the comics and that's a very dark character which one is it which one moon, moon knight oh yeah i haven't seen that one either i haven't seen that yeah but I always there I've read about other characters that are just incredibly dark and they tackle complex subjects. And I wonder if they would have the balls to do them, especially characters that are unfamiliar there. And even well, I heard Moon, uh, Moon Knight is, is pretty dark. <laughs> it's supposed to be pretty dark. So I don't know. We got to go see it. <laughs> we'll talk about it then. <laughs> yeah. But also, um, I guess, going outside of Star, Star Wars, you said that you like making family-oriented films. Do you find that more difficult with the way the climate is changing of what's acceptable in terms of- I, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, right now it's like, it, it's kind of hard to make movies because of the funding, which always, but right now, like I said, there's only a few huge studios that run everything, <laughs> but you get the funding the people are out there to want to watch movies like 
Back to the Future, Indiana Jones types types of movies, The Myth. You know, they're out there. They want to see it. Top Gun proved it. <laughs> you know, it proved it. The new one. Yeah, I think it, it proved it to the world. Did the new top? I mean, I don't. I hope you don't. I mean, I guess not asking for spoilers because maybe I might go see the new one, even though I stopped with the original. But uh, what what do you think is it about that film that just aside from the fan base that has gone gained so much more acclaim? Because I've heard it's done even better than the original. Uh, yeah, uh, and it's. It, I guess I can say it's not woke. <laughs> really? really? Yeah, that's what it is. Really, people. Are just going in there to enjoy a movie. They don't want to see some political thing. You know, they're just wanting to enjoy a movie. Why do you think that there has been this rise in, in woke culture and cinema? I mean, you're just your personal thoughts because I mean, I have my own take, and I guess we could talk about it because believe it or not, I enjoy bashing it because. I mean, I can understand with some elements of it, but then there's just a point where everything is an issue and they got you have to get pissed off about it. I'm just one that, yeah, so. I, you know, I'm not sure why they're coming out with it. It's, it's a control thing. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. It, it is just everything is all of a sudden woke, you know, and, and everybody gets upset about everything and, we just need to get, get back to normalcy, I, I guess. You know, just, just if you don't like something, don't go see the movie. If yeah. you don't like a show, don't watch it. You know, you have that choice. If you don't like to read a book, don't read it, you know, because there's something in there that makes you mad. Yeah, and I guess the same goes with the idea of comedians now. I mean, we've seen something similar happen to a lot of comedians this year. I mean, I'm not but guess what? The ones that are doing good are the ones that are not listening and not playing along. <laughs> you know, they're still doing their own thing, you know? Yeah, notable examples. Obviously, Joe Rogan, Chris, I mean, I mean, Chris Rock, I, I never would have thought he'd be considered controversial, but just because he told, it, it was more like just a, a reactionary aspect because he simply told a joke and it was treated as maliciously offensive and yet the idea that somebody could walk up on a stage and assault him, a comedian and the same with dave Chappelle. that when i heard that i thought it's totally fucking insane it's ridiculous and the funny thing is those guys are talking normal life they're it's really it's a joke but it's they're talking about normal life and and people are getting mad about it and you know uh, I don't know what happened to Will Smith. I always liked him. I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> hmm. That that was bizarre. I mean, I, the whole thing. I don't know if you saw the whole clip, but it I was have. really funny because Will Smith actually laughing. laughed, and then he looked at his wife, and the next thing you see is he walks up there and slaps him. <laughs> you know. Uh, it's yeah, and you think first there was you had like a Twilight Zone like experience because prior to him slapping him, the fact why well, he's marching towards him, you feel this is part of the show, right? Like yeah. it naturally is in the Oscars because it's not the first, but then again, the Oscars has only gotten more bizarre. I mean, I don't know if you're, I mean, do you still watch them regularly or did you just see that? I, I totally stopped. I, I totally stopped. Uh, um, 
10 years ago for me. Uh, quite quite a while, really. Quite a while. I haven't. I used to watch them all the time, you know, every year. Did you catch uh, the one with Kirk Douglas? Uh, no, no. Well, I mean, it was back in 2011 when uh, the, the and he was being introduced and he was like, I think in like 90 something. Yeah. And he could barely move. And, and I just thought when I was watching that back when I actually had a more optimistic view of the Oscars, like, is he going to die on stage? <laughs> it was just bizarre. And that's when I started to realize how much of the, what the it's just all performative and kind mm-hmm. of irrelevant when you think about it, because I think even Christian Bale mentioned the absurdity of it. Yeah, he's won an Oscar, but and he says, yeah, it's a fun thing, but he acknowledges it's just fun. It's not really relevant. In my eyes, it doesn't mean anything. It, 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 you know, yeah, okay, that's great if you win. But if you look, a lot of movies that should win don't win. No, not just that. You know. They don't even get nominated. Right, exactly, exactly. And, and it's, it's, it's a click. Like I said, it's very hard to break into this business. And, you know, it's very hard. It's very I mean, hard and they're gatekeepers. <laughs> do you remember, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you listen to any film podcasts? Uh, Joe Rogan here and there. Oh, no. For like, uh, there's this one called The Rewatchables, which is you oh. get uh, pretty much these two guys. No, well, several guys. Sometimes they have Brian Koppelman from uh, Billions who wrote the show uh-huh. there. And they talk about all movie, all sorts of movies that are rewatchable. And one of them was Michael Mann's Thief, which I, yeah, despite being his directorial, I'm sure a lot of people don't know about it more than they would be familiar with Collateral or Heat. But even that film was snuffed at the Oscars entirely. No nominations. And you, you look at that film. It tackles many relatable issues. It's very well done. I mean, Tangerine Dreams, the music they do is brilliant. And that's the kind of film you want in a neo-noir film. Right, right. It's, yeah, it's almost every year, the movies that should win something. Or be nominated. They don't, they don't, you know, no one hears about them. (laughs) No one hears about them. Yet they made the most money. I mean, I'm sure... Uh, Top Gun, there's not gonna, it's not going to be nominated for anything. Not even at, not even uh, some sound mixing and cinematography or any of that. Maybe, maybe, but I don't think they're going to win because he pretty much does what he wants to do and he does it his way, you know, and he doesn't have people telling him what to do, you know. He pretty much runs his own show. What do you, I mean, uh, made me want to ask you, since you love, you express your admiration for Tom Cruise, what are his favorite roles of his that you like the most and why specifically? Uh, Cocktail was good. I thought he did really good in that. Uh, uh, Oh my goodness, what was the other one? Um, Where he plays a sports agent. Jerry Maguire? Jerry Maguire, thank you. Yes, really good. I thought he did really good. And of course, I like I like big movies. So Mission Impossible, they, all the Mission Impossible. I thought he, he does a great job, especially he does his own stunts. <laughs> you know, that's great. Well, uh, there's actually an analysis bit of his character, Ethan Hunt, Ethan Hunt in those movies, so that he's maybe a crazy person. <laughs> he, he, is, he is a little crazy. <laughs> you no, have to but, be crazy to, to hang on a plane and go out on a plane. <laughs> no, but like he's crazy in that he has like a. a 
a self-destructive desire to die because when you look back to the the first one he is a you feel that's a totally different character in the first one right he sees all these people he cared about die and in a way he kind of takes on this role as the guy that always has to take the risks and just jump into the into the insanity of it before yes yes and one thing i i mean i've i've seen a similar thing with the character john wick by keanu reeves because Anybody could say that it's not a deep character. That's just pure shoot him up, uh, pure shoot him up avatar. But I look at him as a self, as a character who has secretly has a death wish. Well, yeah, I mean, he went after a whole gang because of his puppy. <laughs> there has to be something in there, you know. Oh yeah, and just I mean, just the the way those films are done. In addition to the action, there's something very poetic because. The idea of a man reverting back to the violent pattern that he was trying to get away from. And yet he's really, you think this guy constantly claims he wants to have a peaceful life, yet he's so good at killing people that I think, and this is coming from a Hollywood, a film class I took back in college. Uh-huh. We, there was this film, we, there was this concept we were discussing with the movie, The Hurt Locker on how the character suffers from what's called a Thanatos complex aka the death drive they're more comfortable and more alive when they're doing stuff that could potentially kill them as opposed to normal things and look at you look at john wick he's just really good at killing people and despite the fact that he would rather live a peaceful life right well yeah and and it's also something that you know i mean think about it whatever you learn it doesn't matter what it is in life and you get really good at it, it stays with you. It's part of you. It's part of you. So you, you know, so you start reacting, you know, I'm a normal person who doesn't, who is not John Wick, you know, I don't think he would, he would go after those people when the puppy gets killed. He would call the police. He says, I'll take it on myself. You know, uh, well, I wouldn't exactly rely on the police for that because I doubt they would do anything about it because Nowadays, cops, whether it's even in a place as competent as Florida, they won't, if it's a small, if the issue is not big enough, you can't really put much faith in them. And I, I guess I would. But in a lot of states, you're right. I mean, they're not allowed to do anything. They're not allowed. In Washington state, they, you can only call in now. And if it's not a big deal, they decide if it's a big deal or not, they might, they might not come out. It's, it's really weird. I mean, I don't know what's going on. What, what exact? What do you mean you have to call them? I mean, what? You get like when you call nine one one, you don't actually get an operator on there right away. What as opposed? It's, to- you leave a message and they'll call you back. Oh, wow, that is really fucked up. <laughs> it's it's weird. I mean, yeah. What state are you in? No, Florida. Oh, you're in. Oh, okay, okay. I'm Florida too. <laughs> I mean, I live more south. So, I'm more south based, but uh, and you say you said you're in West Palm, uh, close to West Palm. Yes, right, right outside. Yeah. Well, as well, go, I guess going back to Tom Cruise, I guess with me, it's been more of like I guess I like his character from Collateral more because that felt like a just like a main a major shift for Cruise, and the type of character he's playing. Yeah, it's still action, it's, but more existentially yeah. explorative. No, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't his typical role at all. I mean, he was totally different. <laughs> he was totally different than that. 
he he showed another side, you know, and he looks it's really yeah. hard because it looked like sometimes he was going to be a good guy in that movie. It looked like he was gonna all of a sudden end up being a good guy, and then he <laughs> ran away switched again. Well, he did shoot down two Nazis, which was I I have no pro I had no problem with him doing it because yeah. yeah. I because I, I guess. Uh, I guess I feel felt sympathy for Jimmy, Jamie Fox being robbed by those two guys, and they're like pretend tough guys, right. just because they have a gun. Yet the yet they they were Nazis, and uh, I guess also I just found Tom Cruise's character fascinating because saying he's evil is a little simplistic. I look at him, I mean he's labeled a sociopath in that movie, but it's misunderstood as to whether he's completely cold. Cause even in certain moments, he shows empathy. Right. And he's a professional. <laughs> that, that's pretty much, it's his job. You know, that's what he does. Valkyrie was good too. He was very good in that too. I haven't seen that. And that, that's a good movie. I mean, I don't have a problem seeing it because of the director and what he's been accused of multiple times, but. Okay. Who is the director? Brian Singer. Oh, oh, okay. I know what you're he's about. been, and he's had like multiple ac ac accusations of. I mean, I don't. I'm just not like crazy about his movies. Some of them I've liked more than the others. But when it comes to, I mean, even Collateral. I mean, uh, I guess I'm. I'm also a fan of Michael Mann's movies overall because of the themes they tackle. Because they're all similar in a sense. Right. And are there any of his films that you like in particular? Well, um, right off that, I can't think of one, <laughs> but yeah, I can't think of one. Tell me some, maybe I'll, I'll remember. <laughs> well, he's known for directing Thief, Heat, uh, Collateral, the, in the Insider, Miami Vice. Collateral was good. Collateral was good, I thought. Miami Vice. Uh, I think he directed some some episodes of the original series in addition to making the 2005 no, I, never, I never saw the new miami vice i, I don't know it's okay is it is it yeah i never it's saw not. It. he directed like show. <laughs> he directed public enemies he directed ali with public yeah, okay and i liked ali yes good movies i mean he's a very intense filmmaker and he tackles intense subject and i'm curious since you mentioned you like tackling family-oriented films, would you ever see yourself in a position of tackling much darker subject matter or more intense or more intellectually yeah. challenged? Yes, I would. I, I would. But I think right now what we need is like movies that feel good movies. You know what I mean? Still action and adventure and everything. But I think right now what the world needs is, is movies that the whole family can go to and can, they can get lost for two hours you know, eat some popcorn and come out and feel good about it. It's interesting that you call them feel-good movies because that term, I, itself can, <laughs> that term itself can just take on many definitions, like where it borders between realism and just something that goes outside the realm of what would really happen in that scenario. And I'm, I'm just, well, no, what yeah. is your take on that idea? I like to stay realistic as much as possible. You know what I mean? I would like, yeah, but make the brain wonder, you know, let it, let it, let it go out there. Let your imagination, you know, be fulfilled. 
Do you ever think about, I mean, when you write stories of that nature, do you look to any other less conventional feel-good movies that are not as popular as, say, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, or Back to the Future? Well, there's a, there's a ton of movies out there that are, um, you know, they're really good. They never, you know, they're not that, these big movies. Like I said, I like big movies. Uh, um, it's just, it should be an event when you go to a movie. But yeah, I, I mean, the little movies, you know, that still are, are, are great movies. Like, oh my goodness, Michael J. Fox and, and Kirk Douglas was in it. I can't think of the name. That was not a big movie. But uh, my gosh, what was it? Where he's going to get all this money. He, he inherits all, he was going to inherit all this money with Michael J. Fox. I can't think of that movie either. Uh, yeah, but, but that was not a big movie, but it was a movie that you could really get into and you could just get lost. See, I think a lot of them, yes, you should keep your audience guessing. Yes, most definitely. But you shouldn't constantly having to think about it while you're watching it. And you just you want something that gives people a better, a better feeling given the, and do you think that the, that the climate we're in has become so pessimistic that it just I think we need it. <laughs> yeah, because it makes me want to actually mention how in the beginning of the pandemic, how there was so much media scrutiny on just the whole handling of it. You know, the actor Jonathan Kroninsky started a channel like called Some Good News or something like that. Like you could say it's got like a kind of a like a got a, a quirky tone to it. Like, yeah, because when you look at news media nowadays, it's always negative or something pessimistic or just some controversy that you're like. And whether it's fear, violence, or a scandal, that's sexy as hell, and it sells. No, totally, totally, yes. Uh, uh, it's the news. Yeah, to me, the news is it's 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 yeah. It's I don't listen to it anymore. <laughs> I really don't follow it because every day, I mean, especially when COVID was going on, you know, every day they had a different. A meeting for it or, or what you can or cannot do come on you know uh, it was it was something yeah and now say, yeah um, and now it's gotten to a point where you can't even say certain things right i mean people got kicked off twitter and facebook and all that because they didn't buy the whole story that they were playing <laughs> you know and it, it was a show it was a show and it worked and you know, I, I speak two languages, so I, I, you know, I speak German as well. And you listen to their broadcast, you know, of the news, it was identical. That never happened on any subject, you know what I mean? To me, that was weird. It was just identical, you know. They, usually in Europe, they never agree with America on the news. They don't. And vice versa, <laughs> you know what I mean? It just doesn't go, you know, we are right or they are right, you know, but they, but they all said the same thing. And to me, it just didn't add up. It just it doesn't. Do you worry because of the censorship of big tech that that could be a threat to the uh, like filmmakers and the types of movies they want to make or just how they want to get more, uh, just build a, I guess more publicity around them. 
Well, let me put it this way. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but Tom Cruise did not go to China with his movie because China wanted him to change some things. Mm. That no. Now, tell me the last time a movie made a billion dollars without going to China. Yeah. So, so it doesn't really, if we build it, they will come. That was a good movie too. <laughs> yeah, um, you know what I mean? It, it, what, uh, which one? Uh, was the dream of fields field of dreams field of dreams thank you sorry yes <laughs> i haven't seen it but uh yeah. tell me how is that how's that how does that connect to the tom cruise well, you know he built a, a baseball field and, ah, the all concept. These, and all these guys these legends showed up you know don't spoil it because i mean i'm a big fan of kevin cosner and i heard that film's like a classic yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a great movie. It's a great movie. So yeah, and, and so yeah, I think Tom Cruise proved it. You know, everybody said that movies like I mean, a lot of people in the entertainment business that actually need the movie theaters are saying, oh no, I don't think the movie theaters are going to come back. I mean, he proved it. He proved it. Then uh, the next movie, uh, uh, what was it? Minions. The animated movie also proved it. You know, people went there like crazy. It made a lot of money already. Not as good as Top uh, Top Gun, of course. Obviously. Yeah, but people want to see movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? They want to go to movie theaters and they want to, you know, see a good movie where they can just watch the movie and not be worried about the experience. Yes, the experience exactly. No, the same goes for Christopher Nolan's new movie that'll be coming out soon, Oppenheimer. People are going to go see that in theaters just because of his, they know of his past work. But that's right. going to be a cinematic event. Right. I mean, as to controversy, given what's going on across the other side of the world and the subject itself, that's, that's something that does fascinate me. I mean, I know you say you don't watch a lot of news. I listen to podcasts with different commentators and I don't... I don't lean in one particular direction. I just listen to them out of curiosity because to me, I look at the cult, the, the political environment like a spectator, like I'm examining human nature. And there are some things I agree with and there are some things I don't, but I just find it fascinating how human beings can behave like this. It's, I think we're watching a show right now. <laughs> oh, Bill, Bill Hicks got it right when he said it's all just a ride. Uh, yep. Yeah. It's 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 a show and it's it's uh and I mean I don't know uh, what's his name Boris Johnson he's stepping down I mean people all over the world are getting sick of it I don't know if you heard what's going on in Holland they're they're in they're, Netherlands in Netherlands yes yeah uh, I've heard some things how they're now restricting farmers yeah like, but the farmers can you, <laughs> can you tell me specifically because I know they're preventing them from using certain yeah, forms of energy. It, yeah, they, they are, I mean, what the law is, is pretty much some of the biggest farmers and, and Netherlands, Holland, Netherlands, uh, is actually one of the biggest, you know, produce producers and, and, and meat producers in Europe. Mm -hmm. they, they send it all over the, you know, Europe. And so now what, with this new law, I mean, these people have to shut down. They can't do it. And the reason why is because the government, the EU wants to build certain things, but because of their uh, um, 
climate laws, they can't build as much. So if they stop the farmers of making food for the people so they can eat, they can actually build the buildings, the construction. And that's why they came out with it. And the farmers are saying, no, we're not playing around. And they're protesting all over, all over the Netherlands. Good, because you know, it's just absurd. I mean, look, I mean, when it comes to fossil fuels, do we have to we transition to better forms of energy? Obviously, but not at the drop and not a 180 degree because one that never works like the fast move with, no, with a short-term solution. Right. And all because some people were impressed with, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what would happen if I talk shit about a, uh, a little girl with, with some condition, but I mean, yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And it's, yeah. It's terrifying because you look, I, I, I would rather, see both sides sit down and have a conversation rather than it, it just turning into a into a verbal fist fight because i can never see her having a, a conversation with a, someone from the other side none of them can and it, it, it's made for this it, it is it is made because if you come out with the facts if the facts actually would come out the other side wouldn't have anything to say and that is uh, honest, honest to truth. Look, I'm all for a clean planet, totally. But right now, the planet is going to get dirtier because no one has any kind of oil, <laughs> any kind of gas. People are going to live on the streets. And, and I, I, I invite you to go to Portland, Oregon, and go look at what's going on on the streets, where the people are living on the streets. Same thing in San Francisco, same thing in Los Angeles. You know, and it's terrible. And, and that's... And, and Portland was rated one of the cleanest cities, not just in, in America, but worldwide, <laughs> you know? So what happened exactly in Portland? Because I'm less familiar. I mean, I was more familiar with the protests and the chaos of that, but what happened after that? Because that was like in the beginning of the pandemic that I felt. Well, the, the, the homeless thing happened, actually, I, it started in 2009. Mm. And what happened was, is uh, Oregon actually had a, uh, a program for uh, people who were on drugs. And they brought, and the federal government actually helped pay for it, and Oregon itself. And so all these people from all over the country came and went through this program to get off drugs, which is awesome, right? I think it's great. But what happened after that, which was an eight-week program, they put them out on the streets and they had no money. And that's how it started. And of course, most of those people went right back on drugs because they were living on the streets. Then more people came and that's all it said. Now, the riots, look, I mean, you know, these people that came out there, you know, to riot, what were you rioting? I mean, what were they, they were rioting the police because they didn't want police anymore? I mean, what, what is that, <laughs> you know? And it's usually those people who uh, uh, call the police the first, you know, first thing if something happens to them, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, I understand police brutality, but you can't get rid of them entirely. Look, no, they there are bad people in everything. They're not right in the head. There's something wrong with it. And yes, but for, for you to say that 
the majority of police officers are bad. You can't say that. You know, you can't. You can't say that. There's sure there's always bad people in everything, in anything you do. You know, in film, in well, even the way they frame, I mean, they definitely frame the bad police officers in the wrong way. Calling them bad apples is not a good way of approaching it. Because, I mean, like, take, for instance, the, the guy like Derek Chauvin. Yeah, he was a bad cop. But it makes you wonder, what kind of police agency would employ a cop with so many strikes? Because what I heard is he had so many strikes against his record that you're like, why would they still have a job? First of all, that, and you're right about that. Um, but... That whole thing was was really out there too, you know. I mean, it, it's it's crazy. It, I don't know why he was on his neck for the whole what was it nine minutes or whatever. I mean, yeah, you know, it, it was ridiculous. Um, but then again, if you look at it, he fought him for twenty five minutes not to get in the car either. So it goes both ways, you know. If a police officer says, "Hey, look." get in the car because you just used bad money <laughs> to buy something. Where did you get that? We want to talk to you. Then you better just shut your mouth and sit down. You it's know? hard for me to be decisive on that matter because you never know how anything can be manipulated. Everything can be. And especially nowadays, you can't trust really anything. You see both sides. You see both sides and then you go, okay, yeah, you, know, you make your own mind up. Yeah. Did you, uh, I mean, I'm sure you've seen The Matrix, but now when you watch that movie, it makes you wonder. It was way more ahead of its time than you realize because uh, I've mentioned this in prior episodes of guests. Uh, the idea of the simulation, I think we have a misconception how we approach it because we always think of it as this idea of the brain in the jar kind of scenario. But when you look at it more, simulation is just a narrative and the narrative can be manipulated even the factual parts of it i mean uh and that i mean obviously you just pointed out a good example of how anybody anything can be any narrative can be manipulated anything. and it can it can form your idea of reality totally i mean you know like i said i have friends in europe still i have family in europe and like the war in russia and ukraine right now Everybody thinks this war just started, what, 90 days, 100 days ago? No. This war has been going on since 2014, okay? And, and, and people don't talk about it. We, nobody over here knew about it, you know? So, but, but they don't say that. <laughs> they don't say that part. No, it's easier to call, it's easier to call a Putin, Hitler, or Stalin, yet they forget we were allies with Stalin in, the fort, in World War II. Right, exactly. exactly. He killed way more people than Hitler. Now, as to whether he was more evil, that's hard to say because it was more calculated rather than emotional. Right. Uh, both of those guys were, you know, fucked up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, both of those guys, you know. Well, if you, you know, you'll love the death of Stalin, the, com the dark comedy. It's actually very funny if you check it. If it was on Netflix for a while and then they took it off a while ago, but it's a comedy. It's a dark comedy. Basically, uh -huh. Steve Buscemi, uh, Jeffrey Tambor. I mean, Steve Buscemi plays Nikolai Khrushchev. Uh, uh -huh. Jeffrey Tambor. I don't know who he plays. 
Um, and it just, it's basically like a, a satire of the Soviet Union. Right. And it's obviously about the death of Stalin. And even the guy who plays Stalin has a British accent. I mean, I don't know who, who played him, but obviously, because they still talk like themselves, but it's just depicting that era in a very funny way, where even when the, when they, even when the Soviet guards are, are taking people out of their houses, one of them basically says, your son rat told us about you, and the, guy, the father just gives the son a dirty-ass look like, you are fucking dead mm-hmm. for ratting me out. It's... it's- same thing happened, you know, in, in World War II and, and with Hitler. You know, people were, uh, they were going after, you know, anybody that didn't agree with the regime. That's it. Uh, you, know, it, it, it you know, it wasn't not just Jews. I mean, people that helped the Jews or helped, you know, trying to get them out or anything like that. Well, look what happened with the Canadian truckers, people who were sending them money had their bank accounts frozen and that's just messed up. Yeah. Have you heard the rumor that uh, uh, Trudeau is the son of uh, Castro supposedly? Did you hear about that? I mean, you don't know what to believe anymore. I mean, really? Come on. (laughs) Look, I'm not a fan of Castro, but I guess I would say I even, I still, I guess I was, now I wouldn't say I respect him so much as, when I look at a leader, I look at the, the, the level of, of, of intellectual fortitude they have. And I mean, I'm not saying I'm a fan of Che Guevara either, but I do admire the fact that they had intellectual interests. Like, uh, I like Oliver Stone's movies. And I like that when he interviewed that, when he interviewed Castro, he wasn't being biased. And even if you don't agree with the guy, you look, you look at the guy and you see somebody who at least stands by what he believes, even if you totally disagree with him. And I mean, and at least has the fortitude to stand by what he did. And comparing Trudeau, I mean, Trudeau is just a coward. Oh, he, he, I don't know how he won the second time around. I don't know how he won. He definitely looks ridiculous, that's for sure. But uh, I don't know how he won. I mean, and, and now what he's doing, he just came out with a new bill for the internet over there. Anything you talk about on the internet that, isn't democratic <laughs> will be taken off and you get fined and all that. You're serious? Yep. When it just said, happened, I think yesterday or today. Well, I mean, uh, that, that, that is just so messed up, but uh, I mean, it was a... It's, it's, it's not, uh, you know, people need to see what's, what's really going on. There's something else going on than just, you know, coronavirus. And, you know, I mean, people are buying off, you know, land, farmland all over the world. Why? Why are they doing that? You know, it's kind of ask yourself. Yeah. I mean, Bill Gates is now the biggest landowner in the, in the world. Is that right? I mean, I guess this goes off topic a little more, but what do you think about Elon Musk and the whole Twitter thing? I think he's getting exactly what he wants. <laughs> I think. I think he's playing with it. What do you think? The purpose- at, first, at first, he says, I'm going to buy Twitter, and they said, no, you can't. Do you now, think- 
That's more strategic rather than just a bad. A oh, bad yeah. I mean, bad. now they're going to court. Now they have to show their files. I mean, they're the ones taking him to court. You know, so now you have to show your business because <laughs> that's exactly what happens in court. Yeah. So, it's very strategic. It might just be more calculated than it's. Oh, I, I, I think everything he does is, is, I mean, come on, you don't become the richest man in the world by not, you know, being a good thinker. Mm, that's true. He's definitely a fascinating individual because I had mixed opinions when last year, when he caused that whole crypto crash of the comments he made. And I didn't. Well, it, it was funny. It, it was funny to me because supposedly he still wants to use what was a dodge coin or whatever fuck that coin it's a shit <laughs> coin did you I, buy some? <laughs> I, I bought i bought and sold it at a good price but i only now just i'm only in the bitcoin because of what it does and now it's decentralized I, right. I mean i'm glad i sold all the others at the end of last year and converted them but I don't buy into the other coins because to me, they're just shit. Right, right. I, I, yeah, I, to me, I still like cash. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like cash. And the reason why, I mean, anytime they want to, they could turn it off in my eyes. No, that with Bitcoin, that would be suicidal. It would be. Because that would mean, I mean, think of it this way. Two solutions to that. Either nuking every country in the world, and there will probably still be a server, or shutting down the internet. Do you have any idea how many riots would, would be triggered from that? Uh, that is true, but then again... So many businesses are on the internet. The, the funny thing is they're already, like in Austria, they, they slow down the internet here and there, and all of a sudden say, you know, we can't... Uh, uh, send internet right now to your apartment or whatever. Uh, um, you know, off subject. You know, not the internet, but but like for instance, they already coming out talking about heating this year in Europe. You better wear uh, a, a, a you know a jacket in the house because you're only going to be allowed to use that much like heating oil. Like in Europe, they use a lot of heating oil. And it's obviously because of the energy crisis. Right, which there, there, there shouldn't be. No, there, there shouldn't. Because even Putin says, listen, I'm still going to sell it to you at the same price like we agreed on, and but they're all shutting it off. You know? It's kind of like... It's, it's all baloney. <laughs> I, look at, I look at cinema in a similar sense because there are certain filmmakers who have built a name for themselves and they tell stories that... I don't think any other filmmaker would be allowed to tell I me mean, not whether it's Denis Villeneuve or Christopher Nolan, they were able to build their reputations, but if they were first time filmmakers are going about it the same way, I don't think they would have the freedom to be as creative as they can be. Well, I think, I think like, look, look at last, last Friday, last Friday, I don't know if you remember in the old days in the newspaper, you opened up the newspaper on Fridays and you looked and the whole page of new movies, you know, that came out this Friday, right? Mm -hmm. Last Friday, there were two, two movies that came out. Two. Which ones? 
If you don't. Thor and I forgot the second one, but Thor was one of them. That's insane. Yes. So let me put it this way. If you start a new film industry somewhere else, like right here in Florida, <laughs> you know, you started right here. The, the cinemas, the, the movie theaters are begging for movies all over the world. They need it or they're going to go out of business. Oh, yeah. So why does everybody think you have to always go through Hollywood? Hell, even when you look at Substack, I mean, I don't know if you, I mean, if you had, do you, uh, um, if I, you I, I actually don't use it, but. Well, it's a kind of like a platform where many journalists have actually gravitated towards and they've just basically started writing their own material there to make a living, whether it's someone like Glenn Greenwald, Barry Weiss. I mean, what happened to Glenn Greenwald? I don't know if you follow Glenn Greenwald. No, I don't know. He's one of the journalists that broke the Snowden story. Oh. And then he founded The Intercept, but then because of the Biden laptop thing, he decided to leave The Intercept, even though he was one of the co-founders. Mm. Ironic. And because they but wouldn't... That's another thing, the laptop. I mean, yeah, he, he published, you know, he was publishing a story on it, but The Intercept wouldn't allow it. And that's just, there's just some irony to that. Now he has Substack. And Substack, you can basically write anything. If, some, if enough people pay for a subscription, you right. can make a living on it. And I, and I thought to myself, you could probably even publish short stories or even film scripts there if, if the studio system becomes too difficult. Right, right. Oh, it, it is difficult. I mean, it is difficult. And, and, but... I mean, the idea of going to a publisher nowadays is ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's better to publish on Amazon. Totally, that's exactly what we did. That's exactly what we did, and and I mean, they most publishers now, even even the the big three, they're talking about money up front that, that you have to give them. Fuck you! I'm not paying. I wouldn't. I would never pay. Right, right. And then you're gonna no, no. It should be the other way around. So, no. You, look, we have the technology to do everything ourselves nowadays. It just needs to be like-minded people that get together and, and, and like, like say a movie studio and you can make movies and there will be people coming out with great stories, stories that no one has ever heard of or thought of to make and it's new stuff and it won't be controlled. Yeah, like, I'm up for decentralization completely. Yeah, yeah. and that's what needs to happen. And, and that's how the movie theaters will stay in business. That's how people will have, I mean, two movies on a Friday? I mean, come on. In America? What are we talking about here? No, there are still some great independent theaters. And I, I don't know if you've ever, I mean, do you go to Sunrise, Florida much? No, I haven't. I, I, like I said, we just moved here uh, there's a great, well, I don't know what kind of independent film feeders they have in West, near West Palm, but I know that, well, actually the one I went to was close to West Palm to see the Batman when I was like visiting family. Uh -huh. uh, there's this one in Sunrise near the beach called Gateway where you could see loads of independent movies. And uh, 
I, the last time I was there was 2014, but I went to see, uh, are you familiar with Lars von Trier? Lars von Trier, yeah. Yeah, I heard of him, yes. Can you picture a Lars von Trier film in a major, a, major, a bigger, in a much bigger traditional cinema, like a, yeah. a movie movie theater? Unlikely, yeah. given the movies yeah. made. Right. You but, like it? Uh, well, I mean, the movies I saw, Nymphomaniac, Volumes 1 and 2, the first one made me faint a little, but it was good. <laughs> Maybe it was just the maybe it was just something in the uh, in the ventilation system in the in that auditorium. I don't know, but he, I mean the second one I could watch, and the second one was more, without fainting, and the second one is more intense because it's volumes oh. one and two. Wow! Wow! Unbelievable! <laughs> yeah, you know, like I said, people just need to get together and and. There are lots of people that love movies, that want to make good movies, and, and, and go around it, you know what I mean? And do your own thing. This is, last time I checked, it's still a free country. No, yeah, I mean, you know, the irony is, I this makes me think that even major film directors who wake, work with studios, I figured even if the worst thing happened to them, they could just break off and do their own thing, because did you, I mean, I guess, I mean, this is a, an odd question, but uh, what did you think about the whole Warner Brothers fiasco last year, last January, when they just decided to put all those movies on streaming services without telling the filmmakers? You know, I never I heard that they put it out. They didn't tell the filmmakers. I think I heard something like that, but I know that Christopher Nolan was pissed really? that, he, that he just like severed his relationship with Warner Brothers, and he went to Paramount. And guess what? Paramount gave him. They gave him several hundred million dollars to make Oppenheimer and complete creative control. There you go. There you go. And if he, they fucked him, he'd probably find some way. He'd probably take that money and start his own. I mean, he, take the money and start your own. Don't, don't. He technically has his own company. I've been to that website. You know how in all his movies, that's the logo for that company, Syncopy? Yeah. I'm sure he could expand and grow that eventually one day. No, I mean, the guy makes great movies. He, he really does. And, and I, I wouldn't mess around with, you know, people I think me how I can do something. I think yeah. he's much more intelligent than, I mean, people already assume he's incredibly intelligent, especially how calm he is in his interviews. Right. I think he's much more dangerously intelligent than you realize. I mean, when I was watching the special features for The Dark Knight, his technic, one of his technicians, Nathan Crowley, was still amazed at how he asked him, I want you to make that motorcycle be able to drive. Like, because he was just basically showing him a model of that, that bat cycle, the bat pod. Right, right, right. He says, you've got to be joking. He says, no, I want you to make it drive. And uh, Tom Hardy says, the guy's just not human. And uh, even when... Uh, Liam Neeson in the short role he had in the third Batman film, The Dark Knight Rises, Chris Nolan refused to tell him what the scene he was he was in. The only scene he was in was about. Really? Yeah, he basically says, and I'm sure he does that with all the actors. He doesn't, I think he he finds a way of keeping it a secret because I heard, because when you look at movies nowadays, there's so much publicity around them that you just have to keep everything under wraps. I know that he confiscates everybody's phones when they're filming, so nothing will leak out. Right. 
which is smart, but he refused to tell Liam Neeson what the scene or the story of the movie was when he was filming. And he said this, just walk up to Christian, read these lines and uh, that'll be it. He says, but Chris, what's the story? What am I doing? I'm not going to tell you. You know, a lot of times I think he's just trying to get them out naturally. Yeah. To act, you know, maybe that's why he's doing it. I don't think he does it too much of being worried about things going to leak because he already got the phones. <laughs> no, like in terms of social media, because he doesn't use social media. Right. He, but I'm sure plenty of his crew members have Facebook and Twitter accounts. And unfortunately, right. sometimes they have to film in public areas and some jackass will film a major part of the movie or even, I mean, there's still footage of that clip where, of, there's still like a, there's footage on YouTube of somebody filming that famous truck truck flipping scene from an angle on a building. Mm. Yeah. Nowadays it's so hard to keep anything quiet. It's, it's, it's sad. It's actually sad because things come out and then you go, Oh, it's about that. You know, I want to get surprised when I go to the movies, you know, I barely watch trailers nowadays. So yeah, yeah, I haven't either. I mean, there are there aren't any. <laughs> there aren't any right now. Really, I mean, it's sad. When it comes to your own work in film and make, and obviously you have to edit a trailer. I mean, do you feel that? I mean, how much do you focus on advertising when it comes to your any projects you work on? Well, right now we're we're trying to really focus on advertising, like the book. So we can get back into filming the movie. And um, so, yeah, marketing is very important. I mean, that's, that's business. But know? do you think, do you feel there's a limit you should stick to because you might worry of, of spoiling the material or? No, no, you can do it where you show certain things where nothing makes sense, but it's still kind of, what is that? <laughs> you want to see it, you know what I mean? Hmm. Well, uh, I guess on, on a final final question. Sure. Um, God, lost. We've been talking about so many different things that. <laughs> uh, I guess with all this, the we mostly have talked about censorship and in multiple angles. But do you ever worry about that with regards to any projects you're working on? Despite that, you're actually you've described that you're talking about a fa more family oriented stuff and. Or do you feel that there's some pressure to some particular, I mean, like, do you feel like there's a level of pressure of how, what kind of how far you should tackle a particular subject in that genre? I, I think, I think the only reason why is something you, you're put on the pressure is because you make a movie or you write a story about something that they don't want you to tell about or they want to have control over it. and that's the pressure you know that is where they come and and you have to be worried about censorship and all that you know because but then again i look at it bad you know publicity is publicity good publicity even you know what i mean i mean like look at look at mel gibson's um passion of the Christ. Mm -hmm. I mean, that movie got the worst publicity 
the worst, and it was the so, big movie. Huh? And it was still successful. Oh, it was totally, and nobody was gonna pay for it, and he paid for it himself. That that was it. No, he funded the movie. Yeah, he, he paid like twenty five million dollars of his own money. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So because you know it can backfire on people when they keep talking about especially nowadays because we are so divided right now i think <laughs> in america in the world and just because you say one thing the other side is not going to believe it they're going to check it out you know what i mean so i think it can backfire on, on, on people well, in many ways, cinema can work as an avenue for uniting people because it is a story, and stories have always worked to do that. In a, in a that's exactly, that's exactly. You can just, just look at, I mean, I think, I don't know if you've ever read any Nietzsche, but he did warn about the decline of the West and how we had to create our new values. And I think in the process of that, storytelling can accomplish that. Yeah, uh, I mean, our values are going kind of sideways, I think. In, in a lot of things, in, in a lot of ways. In a, in a ways, that could be a good thing because even though it's a bumpy ride, it could create something better in the process. Well, I hope so. It just depends on who takes charge. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, let's hope they're both creative and sensible. Yes. yes. Sasha, I want to thank you for the time you've given me. And uh, before, before, uh, we uh before i ended up work i want to know where can people find you and learn more about you and your work just i mean any particular profiles you'd like to, to send me uh, and you can find me on twitter um sasha pell uh, mm -hmm. uh, sasha pell um also you can um go to my website which is uh the myth um the hakima scrolls and um you can find me on facebook okay uh, yeah and the new movie is out right now on Amazon, The Myth, Akima Scrolls. Okay, I'll make sure to include links to all those and in the description, and I'll be sure to share this episode with you when I've uploaded it. Again, awesome. Sasha, thank you. thank you for giving me the time, and uh, if you ever want to be on this podcast again in the future, you just send me a, send me a message, okay? I appreciate it. Thank you so much. The best of luck to you, okay? all right? Thank you. you Keep too. it up, man. If you need anything, call me up. <laughs> Well, if you ever want to see any of my material, I'll send it your way. Yeah, please. Please do it. Send it. Yes. All right. You take care. You too. Thank you so much.